What's up, everybody? This is Eve with the Healthy Charleston Podcast. For those of you who don't know, I'm a physical therapist, and this podcast is dedicated to giving you the right health and fitness information that is both practical, actionable, and evidence-based. This is season two of the podcast, and we are so excited. We're going to have a little less interviewing. We're going to do some more topic-based discussions with myself and some of the made-to-move physical therapy and performance team. Maybe have some guest hosts out there. We are so excited for season two. Thank you so much for joining us and supporting us. If you have any questions for me or the crew, just search Healthy Charleston on Instagram or you can reach out to us directly at made to move pt.com that is the number two thanks so much see you soon what's up everybody this is eve with the healthy charleston podcast today we've got the whole made to move team here uh talking all about running um how to stay pain-free as a runner why runners get injured, just a huge deep dive kind of on the medical research, um, on some real life experiences <clears throat> and some stuff that we see with our patients. We are, uh, we are talking about running and uh, why it's good, why it has a high injury rate and how to not get hurt so you can get the good parts of running. Um, so I guess we should probably uh, kick it off with why running is good. Um, well, does it, is running good? Running is good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't think so. It's yeah, not, there's no. <laughs> we shouldn't make absolute statements. You know, right. there's running. Running is good in a wide variety of contexts. Yes. Yeah. Well, most things are. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it has. Okay. It has good health benefits. It. Uh, I mean, you can use it for a variety of things. You can use it for weight loss, for um, competitive outlet, for making your health better, making your cardiovascular capacity better. Mental health. Um, mental health. It's kind of nice to do if you run really slow. Like, you don't need anything. Things. Like you don't yeah, need anything. There's yeah. no equipment necessary. That's, that's probably the best low, part. Yeah, very low barrier true. to entry. Well, and that's right. probably why so many people do it. Yeah, that's why it's so important now too, right? With everybody yeah. staying at it's home, a, it's um, the best way to get cardio in people's minds. It's like the first thing that they think of. Yeah, and it's one thing that you don't do a lot in CrossFit gyms. And so now everyone's like, well, I want to get better at something. I have to, like, I'm going to get better at running. Right. Yep. That's my thought process anyway. Yeah. So what you're saying is running is not bad for my knees. No. Well, it, <laughs> it depends, right? So right. probably not. No. Yeah. Running not as a, as a concept. Statement. Running as a concept is not bad for your knees. Yeah. Well, um, I think we'd have to define what bad for your knees yeah. means. Like an acute yeah. bad for your knees or like a... Oh, this is gonna make like you not be able to walk when you're 50. Well, if you if like. you've never run before and you go do downhill mile long downhill runs on the bridge as fast as you can That's every day for the next three weeks, bad for your knees. Okay, right? like you're going to hurt yourself unless you're Wolverine, basically. Um, but that that's a very extreme end of this, um, and there's not like a certain number of steps that your knees have in them because no. we've heard no. that yeah. you know, we, in the recent past. Yeah, we had a patient come in who was told that her knees have a certain number of steps, like an expiration date, yeah. right? Like your heart's yeah, gonna like only she has have a number certain, of beats. Yeah, like and she has a million steps. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and when she when she gets to the end of that million, her knees need to be replaced, and that's so she could either spend those million walking or she could spend yeah. them running. What should she do? Yeah. Run. <laughs> yeah, run far run away. away. Run away yeah. from the doctor that said it. Yeah. Not, not listen to a healthcare professional. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
it's probably important to, so running is good. Running also has a very, very high injury rate compared to other ways of exercising. So we're going to delve into why that is, but kind of as a comparison. So if you look at like triathlon events, um, swimming, biking, and then running, um, swimming has about a two per thousand hour of in, thousand hours of practice injury rate. So two injuries per thousand hours of swimming, um, Biking has about 0.6 to 1 injuries wow. per thousand hours of, of biking. Um, if you look at strength training, like just bodybuilding has like around that 2 per thousand hours. Um, yeah, it does. CrossFit has around 3 per thousand hours. Strongman has about 4 per thousand hours. Powerlifting is back down to like 3 per thousand hours. You know, they're, they're not very high injury rates. Um, if you look at running on the very low end of the spectrum, uh, short distance track athletes, this is like 100 to 800 meters, have about two and a half injuries per thousand hours of running, which isn't isn't bad. Um, if you look at novice runners, there are studies showing as high as thirty three injuries per thousand hours of running. So, what? yeah, so many 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 times higher injury risk than uh, most times of these other. Plus. Yeah, and there's I mean even almost every study I've seen like the low end of the injury rate is around twenty percent. Um, there's a study that took novice runners over the course of eighteen months through a ten k race a. Uh, Oh, she was a 25. The half marathon. Or yeah, the 10K, yeah. the 15K, the yeah. 25K, and the 50K. What is yeah. a 50K? And a marathon. 50K is like 31 or something. No, it wasn't a 50K. It was a marathon. Right, yeah. Got it. But so over the course of 18 months, they took them like through easier race, harder race, harder race, like supervised training program. A coach was writing these things out for them. Um, they would like, it was individualized. So some people took longer to get to certain races. And the injury rate overall for these runners was 85% over the course of a year and a half, 85% of them were injured. How many runners were there? <clears throat> oh, man, I don't know, like 300 or... What do they define as an injury? Yeah, that's important. Um, so, yeah, injury injury definition is important because a lot of studies define it differently. So the one I like is put forth, forth by a researcher named Buist. Um, he did a whole bunch of these studies, and his is any uh, musculoskeletal issue that arises that interferes with running for one day or more, like volume or distance or interferes with the running plan in general. One day? But I mean, yeah. yeah, like I think that is important to kind of yeah. note though, like during my half marathon training, I had like three instances where uh, pain or discomfort limited my run on one day and then limited it on the next day. So that 24 hours, it, it made me change my distance or my pace. Mm -hmm that would have been considered an injury. So I had three of those instances over a four-month training cycle, right? So yeah. I think that was really good, but, yeah. you know, um, a lot of people would say you're not injured unless you have to quit Stop. or whatever, yeah. but we'll talk about more of that yeah. later. Yeah, too. but that is one thing. So Dane, Dane is a medical professional. He, like, knew how to regress and then build things back up and progress and all that. There are studies looking at, like, what stops people from from running in general, from exercising and his injuries. So right. like even small injuries might be discouraging to people and they might stop completely. Um, most people will push through things farther than they should. And so it becomes a bigger injury. Um, and then they have to stop. Um, and that's probably when you're talking about like CrossFitters that are going to be running right now, there's a very specific type of personality. I think that's drawn to CrossFit of like, I like doing really hard things. Mm -hmm. I like pushing yeah. myself hard. I like to be laying on the ground after my workouts and if you do that as a novice runner, you're at a very high oh, injury risk. Yeah. Um, like you're just going to be going too hard in relation to the stress of running. And we're going to talk about the stress of running here in a second too. Well, yeah. Um, it's like if you were to put a heavy bar on your back that you couldn't do mm -hmm. for 50 reps, but running allows you to do it for 50 mm -hmm. reps. But yeah. you actually, like you think you can handle it, but you actually can't. 
yeah. and then you're adding a weight vest and then you're doing three miles and you're doing it every day and then you add stress yeah. and coronavirus and yeah. all that it's not surprising yeah, with, yeah. with strength work, you actually get to a fatigue point of like, I can't do any more reps, but you can pretty much always keep going with running. Yeah, you can you can continue to experience very high forces with running far beyond what you'd experience with other activities. Well, and that's kind of like the thing with running is like, you, sh- you can always keep going, right? Yeah. Like, you're not going to fail a run. Mm-hmm. They're like, we'll do another step, like go another five seconds, whereas like with a squat... Like, you just can't. Got five reps, and that's all I got. I think it's ironic right now that we're, like, pushing running so hard because normally there are some people that all they do is run, Mm -hmm. right? And we're like, you need to, you know, scale this back and strength train. And, Mm -hmm. like, right now everyone is so, like, running focused because they can't get that strength training. Like, I don't think that we should forget how we normally feel about running during yeah. the rest of the year when we have people that come to us and all they do is run. Right. Yeah. Well, we, we're still pushing the strength training and we're yeah. going to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. That's, that is an important piece of it for sure for injury avoidance. Um, yeah, we should probably, should probably discuss why running has a high injury rate. Um, so there, there are studies, there are probably thousands of studies at this point. Um, it's, <laughs> and Nate it's has a read lot. them all. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Decent section of them. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so there's there's studies looking at uh, running form, running mileage, volume, foot strike pattern, uh, footwear, running surfaces. Uh, I mean, just about basically everything you can think of in regards to what you think might be causing issues with running. Different different things like pose running versus chi running. Um, chi running. Everything. Chi, chi running. Yeah. Uh, that. Cheetah. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't looked into it a whole lot yet. Sprinter. Yeah, it's, it's just a different, like, running form. So pose running is, like, the yeah. lean forward, be on your toes. Um, like chi, like lean Yeah, well, basically, when you look at the different running <laughs> forms, what we kind of find is that, and the, we can get into this later, but, like, no, there's no, nobody rides for free. If you, if you run on your yeah. toes, that stress goes more to your calves and your Achilles tendons. If you run on your heels, the stress goes more to your knees. So it's kind of a, you have, there is always a trade-off. There's no way to run where you're not experiencing impact forces. Right. Um, there are some ways to minimize those impact forces, though. So um, one of the reasons running is uh, so injurious is because it is an impact activity. So you're you're hitting the ground, you're rapidly decelerating, and you're rapidly accelerating. So if you think about, like, if you're sitting in a, in a car and you go from 60 miles an hour to zero miles per hour, if you mm-hmm. do that gently tapping the brake and you it takes you, like, 10 to 15 seconds to slow down... You, you barely even feel it. Um, you might notice like a little bit of force, like shift forward a little bit in your seat, but you're not going to feel a whole lot going on. If there's like a, a wreck in front of you or a deer jumps in front of you and you slam on the brakes and go from 60 to zero in like two or three seconds, you, you're thrown forward in the car, everything in your car hits the windshield. Well, your suitcases um, yeah. fly yeah, in the air, your hanging clothes break. Uh, hopefully yeah. you're wearing a seatbelt. Oh, yeah, your, your dog sitting belt. in the back is just... <laughs> Right through the windshield. Hopefully not. Oh God! <laughs> Poor dog. It's got dark. Uh, uh, We're both getting dogs. So yeah. So these are. Yeah. But the the idea there is that that is that is closer to the impact force of running, right? So we things become damaged, and you experience much higher forces when things happen quickly. And so we have studies looking at a what's called ground reaction forces, which is the amount of force the ground pushes back up at you as you hit the ground, um, and. In novice runners running slowly, we can like the the bare minimum that we've seen is at least two times your body weight per step when you're when you're doing like a slow jog. Um, and if you think about that amount of force when you're squatting, like it takes a lot of weight to to yep. get to that point. You can do it for some people can do it for a few reps and put it back. 
you're, you can't do it a thousand times, right? Like, nobody's going to be doing... Yeah, I can do it once. Yeah, nobody's going to squat <laughs> enough weight to experience two times force through their leg right now. for thousands of reps. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe someone out there can. Yeah, maybe know. Rich Froning. Yeah, right. um, going. yeah. So <laughs> running is a high impact force, and each step is a high impact, and then we're able to do it many, 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 many times. So it's these repetitive high impact forces is one thing that separates running from like biking and swimming and even lifting, right? So. The other half of this is that we don't seem to notice these impact forces when we're running like we would with other activities. So um, there, there are probably two different parts to this. The first is that exercise increases our pain threshold. So uh, the threshold for where we start to experience pain, uh, the amount of stress it takes to get us there actually raises up higher. So, and this gets a little bit into pain science and I don't want to like super going to pain science with this right now, but basically the idea, the idea of pain is that it's always an emotion created by your brain in response to what it believes to be a threat to your body based on evidence that's gathered from signals from your body and your uh, context of the situation, what you believe to be true about, about life and, and the activity. Um, and so when you're doing these impact forces, uh, when you're running, there's studies looking at stress being applied to the body and people when they're not running that same stress will be interpreted as pain at a much lower amount of stress um compared to when you are running or right after running so it's like they'll, they'll take your finger and like put pressure on it and you tell them when it starts to hurt and it might take like twice as much stress on your finger when you're running and after you're done running for you to actually decide this is this is painful so your your brain doesn't interpret it as a threat for a much longer amount of time <coughs> and that's just exercise in general um, but this probably applies to running because that those impact forces are high. So the second half of that is that we do actually have a study looking at um, runner pain tolerance, and I'll I'll, I'll uh, define pain tolerance here in a second. Runner pain tolerance versus like just lifter lifter pain tolerance, like power lifters. Um, and so what this is is when you start to experience pain, um, how much more force you can tolerate before you say like I don't want to experience this anymore. So <laughs> runners actually, yeah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to feel what I'm feeling yeah, yeah, any longer. Yeah, yeah. So runners in general, they, they start to experience pain at a little bit of a lower threshold, um, a lower stress threshold than lifters would. Um, but they're able to endure that pain to a much higher degree. So like runners might feel pain here. Lifters might feel pain here. Average population might feel pain down here, mm. but lifters might get to here and say, I don't want to experience any more. Runners are going to get to here and say, okay, I'm done with that. Right. So, so what you're saying is like, lifters are weak, yeah, basically. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Mentally weak. That's, Mentally uh, weak. That's, that's beyond the novice level? Is that like more That, that was like, yeah, intermediate, intermediate runners. Yeah. Right. Um, so they just get better at kind of that longer duration. Like, I'm just going to embrace the suck, suck and kind and of keep going. Whereas get, like lifters, yeah. we know when we're hitting that fatigue point and yeah. we don't want to do it anymore. Basically, no. what it, runners get better at ignoring their brain's decision to, to say something is a threat. Yeah. Um, whereas lifters do not get better at that, but lifters don't experience pain for higher, but that's less, less relevant to here. So runners might be more prone to, uh, ignore the, the, the threatening stress that their brain is saying is a threat. And then they're probably not going to experience it compared to general population until a later point. Um, and so these two things together combined with, uh, the very high impact forces, <clears throat> make running a little bit unique and probably explain partially mostly explain why the injury rate is so high in running compared to other activities um so however luckily we we probably have ways to avoid this um there 
in the literature, there are it doesn't look promising when you look at like how to avoid running injury. Uh, you can change foot strike, foot strike patterns. You there's a study looking at the 10% rule in which you only increase volume 10% per week, and it had no effect on injury rate compared to just like a group going for it. Um, there's I mean there's studies looking at everything, and nothing really seems to affect injury rate. Right. Uh, but we do have literature in other other sports, so sports like soccer. <coughs> Sorry, I did a bunch of burpees yesterday, and it uh, came from <laughs> Before we yeah. hold on, Nate. Before Not we go really, into uh, yeah. avoiding injury, okay. and stuff, I just right. want to kind of talk about so um, a couple things. You mm-hmm. mentioned CrossFitters out there being stuck at home, or even mm-hmm. lifters for that matter. A lot of people, you know, even um, a saw Hilo. Shout out to them. They wanted to like he was promoting Pete, something five uh, k a day, a day mm-hmm. which I think is really cool. Like it's cool yeah. to get things engaged. Yeah. You take these strength athletes that have a decent tolerance to fitness, right? They have a certain level of fitness. They have the ability to go out and run a 5K, probably no problem from a musculoskeletal and even like an endurance aspect. But they're not necessarily conditioned to the repetitive impact forces behind running. Well, even once, right? It's like, I mean, if you have not been running and you go run a 5K three miles... That's a lot of steps in a short amount of time with a lot of force behind it. And if you've only been lifting or only been doing like hit classes, yeah. your cardio is fine. You can make yeah, it through sure. the five mile yeah. or the three miles, mm-hmm. but the stress through the bones and the tissue may have not been ready yeah. for that and this, activity. And we, and we have a study actually looking at uh, like injury, like one, one of the many, many studies looking at like what may uh, be an injury risk. And one of them is previously participating in a non, non-weight-bearing sport, so like swimming or biking, mm. and then getting into running, you have a much higher injury risk than even just like a normal novice runner because your cardiovascular system is well-developed. You can push yourself hard. It doesn't feel like you're trying that hard, but the stress through your musculoskeletal system, which we've previously said like you might be ignoring, is very, very high. And so you don't notice it until you've already started to to basically accumulate an amount of stress that you can't recover from because it doesn't feel like you're actually working that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that'd be, that'd be really relevant there. So if you're, if you're already a lifter, you probably actually have slightly decreased injury risk running right. compared to uh, general population because you do probably have increased bone density, uh, increased tissue capacity. Yeah. We have literature looking at um, people who played like ball sports or axial loaded sports through, uh, through their childhood and even into college. Um, so this is like basketball, volleyball, baseball, um, all these sports where you're, where you're weight bearing and they do have a lower injury risk when they get, if they get into running, um, because their musculoskeletal system is already a little bit developed. It's already tolerant to load versus someone who never played any of those sports. So, um, so if you, if you are like good at lifting, then you might have a lower injury risk, but it's, it's not going to be a, n- a null injury risk, especially if you're doing a 5k a day, like that's a lot. That's a lot of stress through someone who hasn't run before. A lot of impact stress. If you if you try and compare that to something you might be used to, it, again, it's like let's squat twice your body weight for a thousand reps every oh day, gosh. right? Yeah. Like you can't do that. Your yeah. your body first. Yeah. Like with lifting, you can't. You literally can't do that. You're you're not going to be able to do <laughs> it. But even if you just did like a few sets of as many as you could twice your body weight every single day, and you weren't used to it. Your knees are going to start hurting. Your hips are going to start hurting. Yeah, like you're going to be prone to injury risk, and so running is more stress than that, right? Um, through the musculoskeletal. Well, I think yeah. that's a great point. Like, and we also think of running as cardio, and so when mm-hmm. we feel fatigue, we think it's cardio, and we're like, mm-hmm. oh, you can push through it. We don't realize that it's the impact. Yeah, oh, and, and that's the 
for yeah. like high low and orange theory they do run a lot yeah. yeah and so they might even be more prepared for that right right than yeah. crossfitters that maybe want like run once a week and like the mm-hmm. run just Absolutely, varies yeah yeah and you know, no, I, I wasn't harping on Keith at all and Hilo. I well, think Keith is like an amazing again, athlete that's, yeah, also. those are uh, yeah. it's great too. Like you know, my only suggestion there to the athletes would be it's okay to walk and it's okay to slow down. It's just five k a day. I know that five k a day is fifteen miles in a week, so this goes out to everybody that's running. Period. If you just have kind of picked up running, added it more into your routine, uh, fifteen miles a week. Like I'm, I would consider myself now, like towards the later half of novice maybe an intermediate runner and 15 to 20 miles a week is what i would do on a normal given week so to go from zero to 15 miles a week might be a little uh fast in terms and to of put that in perspective you've been running like 10 10 months you did a yeah since october well, and or september right? yeah and yeah. You, you have a long history of doing crossfit strength stuff and you did a half marathon so right. and that's you're still considering yourself like late novice early intermediate yeah like right. completed a half marathon kind of thing but so. then think of someone who does crossfit maybe an hour to two hours a day and now mm-hmm. they're only running and doing a lot of jumping right mm-hmm. it's it's just impact over and over again and it doesn't feel like it because it's a different like it's a new stimulus yeah. and that's part of the problem is yeah. that it is a new stimulus and you always have to adapt to a new stimulus. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of different factors that play into how we feel like we're working hard, how we feel fatigue, right? And so um, very few of those are, are feedback about impact from our body. So like body temperature, um, breathing, like how heavy you're mm-hmm. breathing, um, a lot of these things tell, tell our brain like that it makes our brain feel as if we're working hard and we're more likely to feel fatigued. If your uh, body temperature is very high and you're having to breathe very, very hard when you're running, like you're probably running pretty quick, you're, you're, or you've run for a very long time, and that's and that is a very, very high amount of musculoskeletal stress if you're not adapted to it. Yeah. Um, and so that's the thing is like we, and then we'll talk about it more later too. But like you probably, if you haven't run a whole lot before and you're now starting distance running, you need to run slow. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to run less than you think you need to, and you probably are not going to feel really tired at the end of it. Because the amount of running it takes to experience positive adaptations um, in someone that already has a well-developed cardiovascular system is going to be probably more than the musculoskeletal system is ready to handle yeah. if it's not ready, if, if you haven't already run yeah. or been running for a while. And we'll dive more into that yeah. uh, here in probably just a minute. The other thing I wanted to go all the way back to the beginning of the discussion, Nate talked about sprinters those sprint athletes having uh, less injury rate than, say, novice runners by, by quite a bit. Um, and, I don't know, one of my favorite quotes, I, I think I probably heard it first from Craig at CrossFit North Charleston, was like, strength is never a weakness. And I mm-hmm. think that that's really true. You look at sprinters, are definitely by far the strongest running athletes, and that probably goes into a reason of why they don't get injured as often or they get injured less yeah like elite sprinters we have a study looking at them and like you they might experience as high as five and a half times their body weight with every step if they're like sprinting as fast as they can for 100 meters but it's only 100 meters and they do a lot of strength training like you're not going to see a high level sprinter that doesn't have a really good back squat um well and their form might not be like perfect or pretty either and so i think it just goes to show like that if you're prepared for the movement, that always beats like what it looks like. Right. I also think this is a great time to point out like the amazing things that your body can do. Yeah. Like the people that have adapted to this and don't get injured. I mean, p- people doing ultras, like yeah. marathons. I mean, when, yeah. when you train for it properly, you definitely can do it and you can do it without getting injured. And yeah, so I, I mean, that's that, a the human point. body is nuts. We have 
an 1,100-pound deadlift, and we have people running 200 miles without stopping, right? Like, on either end of that spectrum. Happy Friday. How's that make you feel? Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we just had cookies. Yeah. <laughs> I want to deadlift and run now. I know. That's now I want to go run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but even if you're, like, not great genetically, like, your body can adapt to a lot. You just have to give it time, and you have to do proper progressions. You have to give your, your body the right resources and the right amount of time to adapt to that activity you're doing. And that's really the issue with running is it takes – probably a lot more time to adapt than, than most people are going to think it does. And so, I mean, again, like we have, like there's a study looking at the 10% rule for novice runners and they gave them three months to work up to a four mile run. And the injury rate was still 20% in that group. Um, like a large dropout rate due to injury, that kind of stuff versus in that same, they also had another group in that same study and just did eight weeks, um, just rolling into it. However, they kind of felt like it injury rate was still like 20%. Um, and so it might be, What's that? What else were they doing? Like, I just started just running. running. Yeah, just, just running. Yeah, just slow progressive running. Um, and so what that kind of says is that you probably need more than three months to be working up to that kind of mileage if you want to minimize injury risk. And again, like, 20% is high. Four out of five of you might not get hurt. But that one out of five might get hurt and then stop running. And so if you haven't run before it's probably safer to start way less than you think you need to and think like instead of i'm going to run for three months and be good at this i'm going to run for a year and be good at this right like a very slow progression over 12 12 months might be a much better option right i mean are you running for just one race too or are you running to run like to improve overall health overall fitness overall like lifelong activity because if you are there's no reason to start fast. Like, I mean, yeah. if you're just going to run one race and then be done with it for the rest of your life, yeah. then, you know, hey, like, maybe that's a different story. But mm-hmm. I think most people that begin running, begin running for a reason, that reason is most likely going to take them on a journey throughout life, not necessarily just for the next three months. Yeah. The Murph is coming up, man. Yeah. We all got to train for our miles. Yeah, we're going to talk about acute untrained chronic training a little bit more if you're going to say that. A lot of it does, too, come down to those who are trying to lose weight. They think automatically they need to, to run. They think they have to do cardio to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And if we go by that example, if it's, it's going to take 12 weeks for you to build up to a running volume that's going to be sufficient for you to burn a lot of calories, that can be hard for people. Yeah, and especially if we're having two double double body weight impact every single time you land. If you're already a little heavy and your goal is to lose weight, you're probably at an increased risk for developing an injury just because you're already heavy. You're not used to doing a lot of activity, and now you're going to go do this activity and do and try to do enough volume to to lose to burn calories so you can lose weight. Kind of sets them up for failure. Yeah, and I think if we view it, if you view getting good at running as getting good at a skill or a yeah. lift. If you never, if you're walking into a CrossFit gym for the first time, you don't expect to have all the skills and heavy lifts in a month. Mm-hmm. So if you view running the same thing, it's going to take you at least a year to get your skills and your lifts. You don't walk into a CrossFit gym and do 200 snatches every day for three months and be like, okay, now I'm going to And if you do, you should go to a different CrossFit gym. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's not, like you're not going to feel good six weeks into that. Like you know, you're not going to, yeah, gonna be exactly. okay and, so, have we mentioned all the reasons running is good, or have we just bashed running? No, I don't think we're bashed running at all. I know, not bashed yeah, running. We, it's probably a good time to reiterate that running is good. Yeah, we like yeah, running. Correct. We all run. Yeah. 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 I love running yeah. right now. I kind of enjoy it, actually. I never really thought I would. I ran yeah. cross-country in high school. I ran in the Marine Corps. Um, kind of hated it, because it was always like very goal-oriented, like, we're going to go fast, and the Marine Corps is always like, we need to stay in step with the 
six and a half foot tall guys in the front, <laughs> um, running in boots and stuff. Yeah. But like, if you just run at your own pace and you run slow, it's kind of pleasant. Yeah, it's like, enjoyable. It's not, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't hate it. It's nice outside. Um, you're at the beach. We live in a beautiful place. Yeah, right. I'm the only one weather. who doesn't like running. You know, like I you mean, don't dislike yeah, running. You just don't like the way it feels because you're not running. Yeah, I'm not really. Knows. Yeah, I mean, I don't love running, but I like to run. But it's definitely like it's not usually a pleasant stimulus. Yeah. Unless I'm going slower. Right. Yeah. I think it's just like everything that I've learned. You know, most things in life, whether it's we're talking about exercise or not, like the more accustomed you become to an activity mm-hmm. or a thing, the more you end up enjoying that thing because the more proficient you become the more you enjoy it, right? Yeah. I didn't ever like really Olympic lifting until I started seeing the numbers increase a little bit. And then I yeah. like, oh, okay, I might be slightly sure. better than average. I, I like this now. I can spend yeah. more time doing it. And same thing with strength numbers. You know, squatting is not an easy thing. But as soon as you start to gain some competency within that movement, all of a sudden you start to like, okay, I can actually do this. And I think there's a lot yeah. of people that start going to the gym and they don't have competency in their movements. And that's why they don't like going to the gym. Same is true of running. If you've never run before and you start running, that first 400 meters to one mile is miserable, right? And until you create that adaptation and that competency, then that's when it starts to be like, oh, okay, like I can actually enjoy what I'm doing now as opposed to just suffering through it. Yeah, like any stimulus, your body will adapt to it. We just want to make sure it adapts positively. Yeah, we just, running needs more time for adaptation than I think it does. I'm almost on the opposite end of that spectrum where, like, I've been running about a year now, like, twice a week, um, sometimes three times a week, and my, the way it works well for me is I don't expect to be good at it, I don't have any expectations when I go into a run, I have a certain amount of time I'm going to run, it increases by around two minutes every week, and then so often I cycle back and deload it, um, and I just don't really care how far I go, I'm just running at a slow pace and just trying to feel good while I do it and not, not hurt myself and I'm doing it because I know I'm going to get beneficial adaptations from it health-wise and uh, strength-wise really too, is, is going to be helpful. Um, running added 30 pounds to my day. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> yeah, that was another thing, is that people are like, well, yeah. if you want to get better at strength, like, you shouldn't run. Yeah. But true. do you think that you, you can obviously get better at if you go out and you do like 10 repeat 400s right before you squat, not going to get better at squats. <laughs> if You're you, going to be toasted. Yeah, yeah, if you balance the two things appropriately, then running can provide adaptations that results in better strength adaptations down the road. Because I used to be so. like, well, I don't want to run because then I won't be as strong. Like, I'll, yeah, like, I'll get weaker. But I don't think, like, I think they can go hand in hand for sure. Yeah. You can balance yeah. them out. I went through like eight years of cardio kills gains. Um, yeah. <laughs> Didn't do cardio. It's a good myth yeah. bus post for Friday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is Friday, games. so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, so how do we avoid injury? Well, what are the injuries? What are the injuries? There are a lot. Um, like we could anywhere from anything from, like, low back injuries, hip, knee, ankle, foot. Um, we have soft tissue injuries, so not a lot of muscle tears, but there is the occasional glute tear, calf tear. Hamstring. Um, hamstring if you're a sprinter. Um there, it's mostly uh, yeah, structural. Knee. Yeah, so we got like bone bone stress injuries. So that can be shin splints, that can be uh, knee stuff, hip stuff. Um, we have tendon injuries: Achilles tendon, patellar tendinopathy. Um, we have uh, patellofemoral pain syndrome, which really it's knee pain. It's, it's knee pain that is not that isn't your patellar tendon, basically. Um, That's a good way to put it. Yeah. From the bone stuff, do we see a lot of like fifth metatarsals? Yep. In runners, yeah. That's what yeah, I was yeah. Like yeah. Shin splints and fifth metatarsal. Yeah. yeah. 
And we um, just got, you know, compartment syndrome. Yeah, and basically what all these <laughs> things say is that when you experience an injury, and this is any any activity in the history of ever not just running, when you experience an injury, the stress going through the tissue exceeded the ability of the tissue to deal with the stress and maybe over time to adapt to that stress. So, like, you fall down the stairs and break your arm, the stress going through your arm exceeded the ability of your arm to deal with that stress. You run for 12 weeks and now you have shin splints, the stress over time exceed, exceeded the ability of whatever, maybe your, your tibia to adapt to that stress over time. Um, and so that's how we kind of have to think about running is giving ourselves enough time and a low enough stimulus so that our musculoskeletal system can adapt to it um, without, without experiencing injury. And so there are, there are some ways we can do this. So the 10% rule may not bear out in practice, right? It, it probably works for some people. Um, but it's really, you have to look at your own training history. So we talked a little earlier about like if you've played sports before in your life, if you're, if you've strength trained a lot, if you have run before, um, if you've done non weight bearing sports, you might want to start slower, that kind of thing. Um, look at your own training history and decide, okay, if I have a training history that puts me at a greater uh, risk for injury, such as I was a competitive swimmer and never ran, I'm probably going to need more time to get into this. If I have a training history where um, I've lifted a lot of weights and like I have very high bone density and my tendons are pretty good and I've done a lot of calf training too and not just squats, um, then maybe I can start out a little bit faster, think like 16 to 20 weeks versus like six to nine months kind of thing. Um, getting into uh, getting into like four to five mile runs. I don't know. There's just general guidelines. So there's no specifics and it's really going to be individual based on your own training history. And then there's also, um, you know, just if you, there are, you're going to have some body parts that are not as tolerant to the load. So if you strength train, if you're a power lifter and you've done lots of squats, lots of deadlifts, lots of bench press, but you've never done calf raises, like <laughs> you're probably, and, and you happen when you run, you happen to be a four foot striker. You're going to be at a greater risk of injuring your Achilles tendon or your calf. Your, your calf is not going to be as adapted to load tolerance as the rest of your body. Your knees will probably be fine. Your low back's going to be fine. Your calf might be the weak point. Yeah. Alternatively, if you've only done, um, you know, like bodybuilding, you've done a whole bunch of calf raises, you've done like knee extensions and hamstring curls. Lots of curls. Lots of curls. Yeah, you don't really deadlift because you don't want to make your waist thick. That's not a real thing, but uh, <laughs> it's a bodybuilding thing. <laughs> then maybe like your low back is going to end up being the weak point here. Um, and so like you're, you're more prone to experience a low back injury if you're that person that's going to lean forward a little bit when you run and heel strike. Um, I think that's a good myth to point out because I was always taught like run, do forefoot running, you know, like mm -hmm. pose running because it'll be better for you, aka mm -hmm. heel striking is bad for you. It's not. But it's not yeah. that either one is better, it's just that they get, you know, they put more stress on yeah. different Yeah, things. there's no, again, there's no free rides. If you forefoot strike, the stress is going to go somewhere. If you heel strike, the stress is going to go somewhere. If you, uh, if you run with anti-pronation shoes, the stress is going to go somewhere. If you run with neutral shoes, the stress is going to go somewhere else. So, it depends what you can tolerate. Yeah, yeah, you're going to experience the stress is just knowing what your body is capable of dealing with, which, which, what are your weak points and then progressing slowly enough to allow them time to adapt. And then probably adding in strength accessory works so that we make those weak points into strong points. Yeah. Does the, the peak at which the, the impulse curve occurs at mm -hmm. based off of forefoot and uh, rear foot? Not really. Change? So there's kind of, there's kind of two peaks when you look at the ground reaction forces is the first is when you hit the ground and it kind of loops up a little bit yeah. and then it goes down just a little bit. And the that second, uh, peak, peak amount of force you experience is your muscles pushing off the ground. And that's actually a much bigger peak. So it, it shifts a little bit, um, depending on, 
it, it does shift a little bit depending on like forefoot versus rear foot, but the, the peak force is probably going to be pretty much the same. So it might, it might slow it down or make it a little bit later, a little bit earlier, stuff right. like that. But you're going to experience those high forces. The total force. Everyone has toe off. Yeah. You can't run yeah. without toe off. Right. Yeah. And yeah. if the, if like the peak force of that, that impact, if you're a rear foot striker, the peak force, that impact might decrease for your calf, but it's going to increase for your knee kind of right. thing. So something's going to absorb that force. Yeah, at some point. So you could um, use different kinds of running, like, too. Yeah, that's exactly. So, yeah, no, that's exactly, I was just going to point that out, is when I started running, because I was running, uh, I, I was focusing on progressing over time, and I wasn't worried about how fast or, or my mileage or anything. I just wanted to get a base of running in. I was a four-foot striker because, A, I was a sprinter, and, B, I was a pose runner, right? Like, that's what I'd learned from CrossFit and everything else. But I found that as I was running and as my mileage increased, I would play where sometimes yeah. I would hit, you know, forefoot, then I would hit midfoot, and then I would hit, like, uh, rear foot. And that was something that I now use, like, on longer runs when I'm at, like, 10 miles. I'm definitely shifting between because I'm now Loading choosing to load different yeah. tissues at different points like in my that. run. Yeah. And it's hard to do. You have to be very aware. But if you're starting out slow and you're only doing one mile, you can basically try to change that every 400 mm-hmm. meters and like play with it and, and get accustomed to, to changing. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. Um, um, and there are probably some like big general general tips that might apply to most people, right? So to minimize impact force, which you may or may not want to do, right? So force is not a bad thing. Stress is not a bad thing. That's how we adapt and get stronger. But if you are experiencing issues and you don't want to stop running um, and your pain is like less than a four out of 10 during it, like a dull ache, you can probably keep running um, just with modifications. So first one would be if you bounce up and down, that is going to just increase the amount of, of force per step, right? So if you tend to be one of those really bouncy runners. Like a gazelle. Um, yeah, like a gazelle. If you think about jumping up and down, the higher you jump, the more force you experience when you land, right? There's just no way to get around that. So what you can do to minimize that is either try and glide along the ground, which is kind of awkward, or you can take shorter, faster steps. Um, so the shorter your steps are, the less likely you are to bounce, and uh, the, the less force you're going to experience per step, even if you're not bouncing. Even if the, the vertical um, distance you move doesn't necessarily change, a shorter step is going to be less force per step. And there are going to be more steps, but... The, the difference is, made, the difference is uh, that peak force is really what matters per step. And so um, that, that tends to be where the injury risk mm-hmm. is higher. So shorter, faster steps decreases injury risk, um, decreases the amount of force you, you experience. It's, if you're already used to running, it is going to slow you down. So you're not going to be able to run as quickly. If you're a novice runner, you can get used to it, and it shouldn't really affect how fast you would have run otherwise. Um, the second one is not overreaching with your strides. So that means if you... When you land on the ground with your foot, if your shin is reaching out in front of you and it's really far out in front of your hips, um, that is going to significantly increase the amount of force you experience through most of your joints except for your calf. So um, sprinting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not even. Yeah. So sprinters actually still hit like their their hip uh, should Step be forward. just barely behind. Yeah. They're, they're still hitting pretty much under their body yeah. um, to maximize the amount force that they're like minimize breaking maximize acceleration um but the if you if you overreach your experience you're increasing the amount of force you feel and that's going to look like um maybe even like a five degree shin angle so anywhere from neutral when you hit your shin is straight up and down up to like five to six degrees in front of you is probably okay if you're more than that you are like 
probably really increasing the amount of force you're going to feel through your leg, um, yeah. and that's going to increase injury risk too. Yeah, so. it just slows you down. Like yeah. you mentioned, breaking yeah. force. Like if yeah. I, if by in like biomechanics, if I have something in front of me and I land in front of me, mm-hmm. it's going to slow me down. But if I if I land behind me, I can now use that force to push off yep. more. Right. So yeah. like, yeah, if you're trying to increase speed, that's and easy. And that's a very difficult thing to do, like running to evaluate like shin angle and like mm-hmm. overstriding. But I think if you focus on the cadence piece where you're increasing cadence slightly, um, yeah. chances are smaller steps, increased cadence is going to reduce that, that overstriding and that braking opportunity. Mm-hmm. Cool thing I just learned last night on my run. Um, I've been trying to find which app I like to use for running. I switch back and forth all the time, but I went back to using Map My Run last night, and it had a cadence count on it for the oh. first time that I'd ever seen. And so it went for each mile. Um, you know, it broke it down by my miles, and um, my fastest mile, I had the fastest cadence at like 174, so 174 steps per minute, and my slowest was like 165. How do they is that, that? Is that the yeah. paid? Yeah, I think it's okay. a paid version, but it's only five bucks a month or something yeah, like that. It's got to be like they, they sense that drop a little bit. Right, right. yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. Like, no, same no. as their yeah, step yeah, count, right? It's, it's an accelerometer. But mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool because it's the first time I've seen it. There's other apps that you can download, yada, yada. But I wanted a real picture of my whole run, and it gave me the whole picture of my four miles. And what was that? What was that place? Map My Run. You got a referral code? I don't think that. Oh my gosh, that's like the simplest shit. running actually, app. The $5 product, this guy wants a discount. You don't know anything. Yeah. Actually, that one I saw you post your story. I think it's the paid version. Yeah, I, might, I might get it. Yeah. I'm kind of interested too. Okay, I have a question. What are we going to consider a novice runner? Somebody who hasn't run before. Like, hasn't run at all, or I run I'd once say less than a year of running regularly. So, I would say a novice in anything is someone that has not done that specific activity. If you're a CrossFitter and you've mostly been running four and eight hundreds, and now you're running. Uh, two to three miles, you're a novice. If you've done crossover for 10 years and this, this is still the first time you're running like a little bit of distance, mm-hmm. you're still the novice runner, right? Um, yeah. Well, consider that the half marathon is like the most popular race in the world, right? If you've done one of those, you're probably not an experienced runner. So like you've got to probably, I would say, like you said, give yourself a year to train for your sport to, to get better. And like if you're still within that year of training age, it's the same as a squatter. Like you are not an experienced squatter if you've not squatted for more like than a year. I like the training age point. Yeah. But yeah. also it's important to consider like not just training age, but like if you take time off, you come back, your body's still going to be yeah. a yeah. novice. Right. Just like a strength athlete, if you take time off. When you start again, you're going to need a different progression than somebody who's been doing it and been doing it consistently for six months to a year. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you if you take like say you take like six months off of running, come back like you're you're going to maintain like a higher bone density probably if you ran for a long time at least a year plus before that, and you'll probably be able to get back into it faster than you would otherwise. But the absolute wrong thing to do is jump straight into what you were doing six months yeah. ago. So if it took you six months to get up to your mileage that you're running before, then you take six months off. It might only take you like two to three months to get there, but it's not going to take you, you two weeks. Yeah, like you're going to hurt yourself if you try and silly. blast right up into that. Um, so still giving yourself more time than you probably think you need yes. to. Um, and that actually, I wanted to talk a little bit about this idea of acute on chronic training load for a few reasons. That's, that's one of them is this idea of what your body's used to. And then these spikes in training, we got time. Mm-hmm. And then also because Murph is coming up in about five weeks, um, Murph. and basically how to deal with that. So everyone's running right now. Everyone's throwing on weight vests and starting to like, do some weight vest runs and stuff like that. And like theoretically five weeks 
may not be the optimal amount of training time to deal with this, but we can minimize injury risk with it, right? So first off, if you haven't run and you're trying to run to train for Murph, still do less than you think you need to, run slower than you think you need to, um, train like you would, like do a very slow progression. You don't need to be able to do Murph before you, you don't need to train up to that point of Murph before you do Murph, right? Like get, get yes. a little bit used to running, maybe get used to Let's a few weightless runs. Yeah. Um, and then when Murph happens, there's this idea of chronic training load, this, this like amount of volume and activity that your body's used to. And if you, kind of look at that over the last month and then compare it to your current week. If your current week is a is a big spike in training load, you're going to have a much more you're going to have a much higher rate of in, risk of injury than you would otherwise. If your current week is much lower than your past like month, you're probably not doing enough to adapt. So what we can do is look at Murph itself as the workout as a a day. That's going to be a spike in that day of training load, but if the rest of the week around it is pretty easy for you. You're not necessarily going to spike yourself up into that giant like injury risk rate, right? So you can do a hard workout that you're not used to. You just can't do a hard workout and then continue doing hard workouts on top of that the rest of the week. So that's that's going to be what injures you is not necessarily necessarily Murph by itself. Um, I would also say like I, I feel the same way of like Murph's coming up. I want to do really well in Murph, but mm-hmm. Murph is one day out of the whole year of training. Mm-hmm. So like don't. Unless, Unless you're, you're Eve, Eve and you do it every week, which yeah. that's a different story. And like as a CrossFitter, you want to do the best you can in, in Murph, and it happens once a year, and everyone's like, it's a holiday. Mm-hmm. But it's not like the most. It doesn't tell you everything about your training. Like no, it, it's just one. one no, it's, it's just one workout. You know, if yeah. you viewed a Tuesday afternoon workout the way that we all view Murph, and we're like, I'm all we're training for for next Tuesday. Like it's just not the way I think you should view <laughs> training. Like that. Murph is also like that. yeah. Murph is also if you do it with a weight vest non partitioned, <laughs> like it's an hour plus workout for almost everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't do workout. that in CrossFit. Yeah. We don't do that. In, most people are not doing an hour plus of high intensity cardio in their training at all. Your daily training <laughs> is not Murph is not going to be reflective of how effective most of your training is unless you're specifically training yeah. for Murph. So if you are if your only goal right now <laughs> is like to get a good Murph time, like I guarantee everyone else in the room is gonna be suffering. They're probably not gonna even notice. And like maybe you should look at why you're working out. Like maybe you should Nobody reassess your cares. goals. Yeah, I mean like yeah. people care, like, you know, you wanna do well, but it's a memorial day workout, it's a hero workout, like mm. let's just I don't know. I just think you should reassess why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. The point of it is to suffer. The point isn't to be good at it. It's yeah. probably... Oh, so I'm just yeah. not going to train at all for it, and I'll <laughs> suffer the most. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess let's talk, let's end this maybe with, um, if you're running right now, you just picked up red flags, things to just consider, like, like bullet point um, items to say... Start off with, uh, you know, like you said, run slower than you think you should. Yeah, so run slower than you think you should. Um, if you get back from your from your run and you have to lay down on the floor and you're a novice runner, like, that was way too fast. Um, still, I'm, I'm about a year into running, and when I get back from, like, a 45-minute run, I feel pretty good. Like, my calves are a little tired, my quads are a little tired. Um, I can walk up and down stairs fine. I'm not needing to lay down. I feel pretty much normal. I can strength train heavy later that day with no issues. Um, the second is probably take shorter, faster steps than you think you need to. Um, that's going to minimize impact forces. So you have more time to adapt to them. It's going to flatten that curve. Uh, we're all about that. Flatten that curve. <laughs> oh, man. Um, flatten the curve. And then 
the last thing is proper accessory work for a novice runner, right? So we have one study looking at a pre preconditioning program in runners. Um, the preconditioning program was walk however much you want to and do some walking. It wasn't yeah, it wasn't yeah. supervised, it was hop in place and and do some walking and it had no effect on injury risk. We have robust preconditioning programs in many sports like elite soccer, high school, every high school sport, volleyball, soccer, whatever, and they all significantly reduce injury risk. I mean, elite elite uh, ice hockey players, like professional ice hockey players, all these people, if you make the tissues really strong with strength training, um, then they experience much lower rate of injuries in the following season compared to previous seasons. Um, and so with running... You really want to be doing that. That is, that is one thing where like CrossFitters are probably going to shine a little bit. Is you've been doing strength training, you've been doing hard workouts. Mm -hmm. We need, and so your your tissue capacity is already going to be pretty decent. Um, so you might be able to accelerate your your training program a little bit faster from like that year out to like seven eight months out kind of thing. Thinking thinking more along those timelines. Um, but if you haven't run before, you haven't worked out before, do a little bit of running, do a little bit of strength training, even if it's just body weight stuff, um, and make increase your tissue capacity so they can deal better with the impacts. Right. Um, other red flag might be, you know, don't just um, Google 14-week training plan and then yeah. follow it to a T. Like, you know, you should yeah. probably find something that's either A, a little bit more individualized for you, or B, if you're going to take something off the internet that's a generic program, make sure that you are personalizing it. So if you're having bad days or bad weeks or high stress weeks or, you know, poor sleep, poor nutrition, like whatever, you've got to adjust whatever that mm -hmm. training plan says in order to fit who you are right then and, and there on that day for, for the activity. Yeah, it's okay if your 14-week program becomes a 28-week program. That's fine. There's no race. Yeah. I mean, maybe there's a race. Um, yeah. <laughs> and even then, it's better to complete the race than, like, say, compete exactly. in it, yeah. you know, to try to win it. And, and then, then not be able to right. do it because you're injured. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I would say don't go from running once a week to running six times a week. And mm -hmm. don't forget about the stress that you may be feeling right now because of the whole situation because your body views running stress and CNS stress, like, it's the same. It's stress to your body. Um, so, like, don't get down on yourself. If, yeah, if a 14-week program turns into a 28-week, you're all going through a lot right now. And just, like, do what you can yeah. do. Yep. And just be wary of uh, coaches and other runners out there telling you that there's a, a definitive way to do things or... Um, you know, if they're not taking in the, your personal life and, and, and goals into account. I mean, they, they've got to understand that strength training is important. They've got to understand that time and progression is key. And they need to understand who you are and where you are in your journey in order to make it effective. Yeah. It's all about the journey. It's all about the journey. Not the journey. birth destination. All right. Have fun running. What's up, y'all? We hope you had a lot of fun listening to the Pain-Free Running Podcast. We had an absolute blast putting this thing together. Honestly, putting more of this kind of research and stuff together, you should expect a lot more of that stuff in the future. Um, it's really just a passion of ours to get the right medical information out there and to educate and empower our listeners. If you want to learn a little bit more about pain-free running, we created um, a guide, five guidelines for you as a runner, if you're starting uh, to run or if you're a novice runner, even at an elite level, some really guidelines and principles to keep your body healthy and to make sure you perform your best. 
So go check out madetomovept.com. Again, that's the number two, madetomovept.com slash painfreerunning.